Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I think God is good. He has been good, and He will continue to be good to all of us. And that's something that we can be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that during this sacred hour that you may guide our thoughts and guide our hearts. We pray that as we study your words, dear Lord, that you may speak to us all individually. We ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may move in this room. We pray again that you may remove the speaker and that your words may be heard and that your love and character may be seen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So she stormed into her pastor's office. By the way, this was not at this church. She ran in and she prefaced her talk to the pastor with a statement. And the statement is, Pastor, I have a besetting sin. And, I, and we need to talk about it. The pastor asked kindly, what is that, sister? Let's address the issue. She begins to open up what she was, about what she was struggling with. And she said, Pastor, I have become aware of this sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I am at church, I begin to look around at the other women, and I realize that I'm the prettiest in our congregation. How do you handle such a thing? What do you expect the pastor to respond? What do you expect the pastor to say to such a statement? She went on, none of the others compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin? The pastor, of course, breathed a sigh and prayed in his heart and said, Sister, I think there's a greater sin that you are struggling with, and that is the sin of pride. That is the sin of pride. You know, Christians can be mean sometimes. It's unfortunate, but it's true. I was on my way to Washington, Washington D.C. for a meeting um, just a couple of months ago, and I, as I was, I, I picked up my rental. The time was about 3 p.m., and I was ready. My trip was about to take me nine hours driving. I was. It was Sunday. I, I had to get there Sunday evening so that I could get enough sleep to be ready for the meeting on Monday morning. And I thought, this was good. It was a good setup. I was still on time. It was 3 p.m. I got in that rental car and drove to Frandor, my last stop before hitting the road to Washington, to Washington D.C. I decided to make a pit stop at the bank to pull some cash for tolls. And while I was there, I was driving in this. I had to ride away. I was driving in this, uh, this parking lot, and you know, there's a way to drive, and then there are parking spaces. And so someone was pulling out of a parking spot. I saw them just in the distance, and I stopped to allow that person to reverse. As I was sitting there in my car, I began thinking about what the next day would be like and what the meeting was going to be like and how long the drive was going to be and the fact that I was alone and my wife was going to be at home. Everything was kind of going through my mind. When all of a sudden, I just heard a loud boom. And the sound of metal and plastic. And I thought, 
this does not feel good because I felt the car shift. You know, when you hear a sound like that, you wonder, I hope that was not my car. But this wasn't the case. It was the rental I was driving. It was mine. If you were looking from the outside that day, you could see a young man in the driver's seat of that car going like this on the steering wheel. Why? 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 I looked out the window and realized my reaction wasn't that, well, wasn't that great. But there are two young ladies looking inside there. What just happened to him? Is he, going, is he all right? I stepped out of the car and walked around to see the damage and realized that the entire bumper of this car was gone. It was totally ripped off. And the side, the, the back side of that car, the passenger side was, was scratched. And I thought this was a rental. I've never been in an accident with a rental. In fact, that week, I, I got into three accidents total. Fender benders. And it, not, it was not my fault. <laughs> if it was, I could understand. I was driving down Grand River, and this young lady, she was on her phone. She was trying to find directions. She was from overseas, and she was trying to figure out where she was going. Stopped at the stoplight, boom, ran into my car. I just fixed the bumper a couple of days before. So, you know, you understand how that feeling. So when I got to this point, I was up to here. I'm like, Lord, why another accident? Why now? And so I got out of the car and I changed my expression. You know, I'm a pastor. You got to look nice. <laughs> and so I walked out and I saw this young, this young lady. She came out of her car and she began shouting at me. How dare you? Could, you didn't see me. Why weren't you looking? And she was just shouting at me. And I'm thinking, but you're wrong. And with her colorful language, she let me know how frustrated she was. But in that moment, for some reason, to this day, I cannot understand why I did this, but I did it anyway. I looked at her and I asked the question, are you a Christian? In the middle of her going off at me, I asked, are you a Christian? And all of a sudden, like, just like that, she stopped. The question arrested her. And she said, yes, I am. And so I, being a pastor, decided to do something bold. I've never done it before. And I don't know if I'll do it again. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I said to her, I'm a pastor. And this is not how Christians behave. And she, just like that, quiet down, literally like night to day. We began talking. We began talking about how we, we were going to fix this problem and resolve the issue. She was deflated in that moment, and we began talking. This is how we're going to do it. I have to take some pictures. Here's my information. I'll take your information, and so on, so on, and we'll figure this out. I went to Sears and got some zip ties, put that bumper on in any type, shape, fashion that I could, drove the car back to the rental place, and finally got to D.C. about 2 in the morning. I had to get up at 9 for that meeting. But I remember during that drive to Washington, D.C., I was getting into Ohio at this point, and my phone rang. Same young lady. At this point, she called, are you okay? But the accident was about an hour and a half ago. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a situation that would warrant some measure of frustration, we don't really respond in a way that we're supposed to, do we? doesn't matter what the problem is, the issues. Sometimes it can 
bring out of us the, the worst thing. But I've, ex I've had similar experiences and I've done things too where I thought, man, this doesn't really look right. Everything that I understand from the Bible doesn't seem to match my actions at this moment. And therefore, Lord, I need more grace, more mercy to live this Christian life because I can't do it on my own. But there are so many Christians who try to do it without Jesus. There are so many Christians who leave their homes that every single day without having Jesus a part of their lives. Without having Jesus along for the ride. You know... That is the struggle. And tr the truth is you understand already that there's a weakness within the human flesh and nature that rages war against our Christian ideals and our mouths don't always match what we do. You know, believe what I say, but don't do what I do. I do what I say, but don't do what I do. God's people have always had this problem. The problem between what the head believes and what the body does. If you don't believe me, try exercising. The body, the head believes, I need to do this. I need to get this done. And the body is like, where are you going? <laughs> Not today. The great besetting sin is that we think too highly of ourselves sometimes and forget that we ought to extend grace and love to others, especially in moments of our deep frustration. So here we are. Jesus uses this, this story to embody this entire concept in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. A man who thought highly of himself, the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 10, page 1196, verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested, saying, tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Can you imagine? Jesus, by the way, had just sent out the 70. They went and performed many miracles. He, the, the disciples came back and he was having a conversation with them. And all of a sudden, Luke records that, behold, as if to interrupt the story, a lawyer stood up and said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, it to me looks like Jesus was having a conversation. This lawyer stood up, hey, 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 hold on one second. By the way, back then, lawyers used to debate issues. And so they would often engage in these conversations, these discussions with each other. What do you think about this concept of the law? What do you think about that concept of the law? And I imagine this lawyer tapping maybe another one and saying, hey, watch this. Good teacher? I got a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, yes or no? Good question. But it is a good question with a sinister plan. Because this man was trying to test or challenge Jesus. And by the way, during those debates, if you did not have an appropriate or good answer, you would have lost the debate and your status as a rabbi. So in other words, this lawyer was trying to discredit Jesus. That's what he, that's what he was attempting. Christians. The other name for a lawyer is a scribe. Scribe was a... Jewish scholar, you could say, back they were the ones who studied the law. In fact, most scholars say that these scribes started studying the Old Testament from the age, from the age of three. They studied the law. 
they taught the law, they implemented the law, and some scholars say that by the time a scribe got to an adult, he would tell you, as he become a rabbi, if a rabbi says, one scholar says this, if a rabbi says that your left hand is now your right hand, and that your right hand is now your left hand, you are bound to obey it. That's how much power they had. So this lawyer did not think of himself as a low person. He thought of himself very highly. And so he entertained Jesus in this discussion, this conversation. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? I love Jesus. Because Jesus always answers a question with a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to ask him a question that he already knew the answer. This lawyer was asking a question that you already knew the answer to. Because when Jesus asked, what is written in the law? And what is, what is your reading of it? In other words, what have you studied? What do you already know? And so the lawyer goes on. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself, quoting Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. You see, he had it memorized. He knew it. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Jesus commented there, do this and you will live. Most commentators say that Jesus was emphasizing in this passage the word do. Why? Because he understood it, but he wasn't doing it. He was studying the law since the age of three, but at this point in his experience, he wasn't doing anything about it. And that's what happens to us as Christians. Sometimes we are familiar with what the Bible says, but then we find ourselves in a conundrum because what we understand is not necessarily what we do. And so Jesus, do this and you will live. Your life depends on it. Do this and you will live. But he, this is where the story turns. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Pray, I tell. Who is my neighbor? And that's what happens to us sometimes. Jesus says, this is what you ought to do. And we're like, no. But you understand that uh, I've been doing that for a while. It hasn't been working. But who is my neighbor? This young man responded. He didn't want to look bad in that case. Then Jesus answered and began telling a story. We're going to get into the details of the story, but just, just for context, let's talk about this briefly. This young man had a, had a lot of things going for him. The Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, right, Jews total, but including those, they had a misconception of what the word neighbor meant. You see, for a Jew, a neighbor was anyone who was a Jew, which meant that anyone who was not a Jew was not a neighbor. And so they had sayings like these. There is a scholar who says, whatever modern Judaism may say to the contrary, there is a foundation of truth in the ancient heathen charge against the Jews called the odium genesis humani. Or in other words, the Jews had a hatred for mankind. Another one, where he said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, he accepts the Gentiles. 
for they are not our neighbors, but those only that are of our own nation and religion. So they love their neighbors. In his mind, he is thinking, my neighbor is a Jew. In fact, back then, if a Jew were to commit a, commit a crime against a Gentile, he would not be punished. Because they did not consider Gentiles to be neighbors. And so he asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus begins to tell the story of a Jew. He tells a story with a hero in it, but the hero is a Gentile. And I imagine this lawyer with his ears peaked up listening to what Jesus had to say. And Jesus goes on, a certain man. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to where? To Jericho. And fell among thieves who stripped him of his, of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, you can see why. Because the priest believed that this man was not a neighbor. Goes on. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, you don't understand the gravity of this story because Jesus is telling the story with the priests and Levites in the audience listening. It's just like coming to church one Sabbath morning. And as you walk into the congregation, you hear the pastor telling a story. And as the pastor goes on telling the story, you begin to tiptoe as you realize that the pastor is actually talking about you. Immediately in that moment, you begin to have a sense of, you have a feeling of discomfort. Well, I don't know if I want to be here because the pastor is talking about me. And you plan in your mind and in your heart, you know what, I have to talk to this pastor afterwards because he's not doing something right. The priests and the Levites were in the audience listening to Jesus telling the story. And this is so powerful. Because Jesus is telling a story that was public knowledge. It was not unknown. It was known to everyone that this priest and this Levite were in the audience who passed this man half dead on their way to Jericho. Fascinating enough. Jerusalem was the place, of course, the place of religion. Jerusalem, you could say, was the place where God was being preached. God was talked about every single day. And I imagine this Jew who was, who, this priest, by the way, who ministered in the sanctuary was on his way home because most priests and Levites lived in Jericho. So they may have served in the temple that day. And on their way home from Jerusalem to Jericho, you could even apply to this day, on your way home from church, Someone needs your help. And what do you do? Well, it's Sabbath, though. It's Sabbath. I can't help you. I wish I could, though, but any other day except today. Fascinating enough, Jericho was also a very good place. Turn me to the Bible, to, to Luke, Luke uh, chapter 19, and I'll show you what Jericho was like. And then we'll talk about the journey. Jericho actually was a rich city. By the way, you remember Jericho shows up in the book of the Old Testament when Joshua and the army marched around the city of Jericho and they blew the trumpet and the 
walls fell down. Jericho was a protected city. Jericho was known, literally the name translate as the city of palms. It was a city that was fruitful. Between Jericho and Jerusalem was a huge desert. And so Jericho was a rich city. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, there was a man who came from Jer who was from Jericho, and there's a reason why the Bible says this in Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through where? Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was what? You know, Zacchaeus is from Jericho. There's a reason why the chief tax collector lived in Jericho, because the Romans made Jericho their place to collect taxes. It was a very important spot for the Romans. So Zacchaeus had made his living from being in that important spot. The Romans had their, 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 the Romans actually built the walls of that city during that time of Jesus. It was a very important city. In other words, if you were living in Jericho, you were above a few other people. If you were from Jericho, that was to say you were from a good neighborhood. Jericho, you could say, was a gated community. It was a safe spot. Jericho was a rich place because those who lived there had to be not just anybody. So Zacchaeus, of course, found Jesus, and praise God he did. But Zacchaeus was a rich man living in Jericho, a very fruitful place. Between Jericho and Jerusalem, there was a difference of about 3,500 feet when it comes to height. And so this man definitely had to travel down. Jericho was all the way down in the valley. Jerusalem was about, some scholars say 2,500, others say 3,000 feet above sea level. And so you had to travel this mountain pass, this path, from, from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho. And by the time you get to the valley, you would have traveled at least 15 miles on foot. At least 15 miles on foot. There was a pass within this, this, this route that one would take that, would, that literally had the name called the place of blood. And you could see why. As you're traveling from Jerusalem to, to Jericho, you would pass this little, this little place within that, 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 that ravine as you're going through curves and curves and corners and corners up close by the mountains. There's only one way to go, and that's straight or the other way. It was a very tight place to walk, to pass through. It was a very dangerous spot. The place of blood was the famous place for robbers and bandits to dwell. And they had shed blood innocent blood over and over. They say that this place of blood was about, about a mile away from Jericho. So let's put this story together in your mind. This certain man may have gotten up that morning and he thought, you know what? I'm going to make it down to Jericho. We don't know what he's going there for. We know he had some things on him. As he's leaving, he kissed his family goodbye. Or maybe he went up to the temple to worship. We don't know. He left, and he's on his way down to Jericho. Everything was good. He is singing just like me, driving from here to Washington, D.C., and he's singing his song, thinking about all that he had to think about. And all of a sudden, he was grabbed by someone in the shadows. And as he's being pulled and tagged, he's saying, no, don't hurt me. Just take what I have. But the robbers were brutal. They stripped him of his clothes. 
The robbers would take none of his words as he screamed and cried out for help. There was no one there to help him. They beat him. Be quiet. And he fell down there half dead. Serious emergency. But as he laid there, the Bible says in verse 31, by chance. The Greek word by chance there is literally by providence. By providence, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Can you imagine how many times God's providence leads us into the path of people and we ignore it? Can you imagine how many times God by chance would have us go a certain way? You haven't thought about it. But there you are. In that place, at that specific time, and in your frustration, you walk by. Another time, I was traveling to Philadelphia, and this was during one of those nor'easters recently. You remember the, those nor'easter storms? I was, I was thinking that winter would never be over. I was traveling from here to Philadelphia. I had to preach, and it was just one of those horrible, plain rides, my first. It was just amazingly difficult. I left about 4 in the morning, went to the airport locally here, and when I got to the airport, the crew did not show up on time, so the flight was delayed. Problem was, I had a connecting flight out of Detroit all the way to Philadelphia, and if I missed that connecting flight, I had no clue what would happen for the rest of the day. So I thought, the crew is late. That's unusual. Why would the crew be late? Well, the crew was late because there was another storm that they had to, that they had to switch people off, and then the crew, the crew didn't get to rest, and so they had to rest, and so they showed up late. I am being inconvenienced. I had an appointment that Friday night. I was supposed to preach at 6 p.m. I left the home 4 in the morning with the expectation that I would get there on time. The crew was late, so I got to Detroit late. By the time I got to Detroit, my other flight was already gone. The time was now 2 p.m., and I walked up to the desk, and the lady said, there are no other flights leaving Detroit today because the storm is too bad. I thought, I need to get to Philadelphia. I have a message to preach. Jesus, I'm a preacher. I need to get there. Of course, in a moment like that, you begin to think positively, you know, okay, there's a flight that's going to come. 2.30, no flights. 3 o'clock, oh, there are no flights coming. And you go from, there is a flight that's going to come to, there are no flights coming. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? You go crazy. And so I'm there waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing's happening. And finally, another announcement. We have a flight that might be going out, but then after we waited again, flight going out 5 p.m., that one got canceled. I went through about, I think, two or three flights canceled that day. I got to the point where I lost my ticket. Literally, there, there are so many people backed up in Detroit that everyone was on standby. I was number 27, I think, on standby. So I felt I would never make it out of Detroit. And so I thought, Lord, there is a person here for me to meet by providence. Let me pray it through. There is someone here that I need to preach my sermon to. Help me find that person. And so I went searching, just randomly walking and talking to people. I, I tend to interrupt conversations sometimes. I'm not being mean. I just have this, this social problem, 
right? I just always talk to people, uh, to the embarrassment of my wife sometimes. Um, and so I was there, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to find someone to talk to. And so I just started talking to people. This one guy had his headphones in. I said, hey, brother, how are you? He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. You know, like pull his headphone out. We started talking. I'm like, okay, this is not the guy. Um, put his headphone back in. He wasn't ready to talk, ready to talk. So I walked off, went to someone else. And I thought, I need to find help about my flight. So I went up to this desk, talked to one of the flight, recept- well, the flight receptionists, you could say. And, and uh, I was waiting there in line, and this lady was sitting down. She got up. There were four others helping people. I was in line, and I thought, that's the lady, Lord. That's the lady. So other people were coming. Hey, brother, are you in line? I'm like, no, 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 I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that lady. So people passed me, went to the others. I'm like, yeah, I'm just waiting for that lady. She went, went around, did what she did, came back and sat down. And so I was in line again. I walked up to her, and I said, I just have to talk to you. And she said, okay. Um, I said, well, first of all, my flight got delayed. I am a pastor. I need to get to Philadelphia because I'm preaching tonight. She's like, there's nothing that I can do. But let me think about it. And so she started working through the systems. Like, I I told her, I'm on standby. I don't even know if I'm going to leave this place. She's like, okay, don't worry about it. I'll give you another ticket. And so we started talking. She's like, oh, by the way, why are you going to Philadelphia again? I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm going to preach. What are you going to preach about? I was ready to preach. And so I started sharing with her my sermon. And she's like, you know what, man? That is so powerful. And she began sharing with me her her testimony, her story. And here I am thinking earlier I was so frustrated with God's providence. And here it is that God was guiding me to someone who needed his message. And so that day, this lady, very same lady, went to the other desk that uh, had my, of course, that's where I was waiting for my flight. She said the lady, she went over to the lady. In fact, they knew me by this point. I went up to the desk and they were sitting together talking like, uh, Brother Gail, what do you need again? You know, uh, and then they started, we started talking, and there was this, this, this dynamic trio. Her, she was talking, and they were just sharing testimonies, and all of a sudden, you just heard, praise God, praise God, in that conversation as people were listening to me talking to two receptionists. That night, I didn't make it out of Detroit, but I got a hotel, and I didn't pay out of pocket. Delta paid for it. That night, I got an a, 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 a Uber. Uh, from the airport to the hotel, and I didn't pay for it. The flight paid for it. And they took care, such good care of me. I thought, man, I'm praising God for providence. I am praising God for providence. By chance, I ended up in Detroit, and that's exactly where I needed to be. So by chance, sometimes God may move you to places where you think this is just so frustrating. Why is God doing this? But there it is, someone, a certain man that is almost half dead spiritually and needs your help as a Christian. Please don't pass them by. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side too. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had, what is the word? Compassion on him. On this dry and dusty road, a journey that, would, that one would have to take an adequate amount of water, 
hills to climb, this Samaritan was making his way on this very same journey and saw this man half dead. And the Bible says he had compassion on him. Just observe just a few things before we close. This Samaritan, when he journeyed, he came where the man was. This is true of Christians. We ought not to isolate ourselves from people. We must go where they are. If I didn't go where this woman was, I could not have made an impact in her life. There are too many of us who separate ourselves from other people. And therefore, we do not have the potential or capacity to extend compassion because we're too far away. You cannot extend compassion when you have a distance between you and the person who needs your help. So he came where he was. And when he saw him, the Samaritan was able to identify this man's struggle. He identified this man's need. And he had compassion. But compassion and seeing people and coming where they are without doing anything is not enough. So go, find people, but do also. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. You know how we get sometimes, you know, you see someone struggling like, oh, poor, poor person. Poor sister, I wish someone else would go and help them out. But this Samaritan would not have it. So pouring on oil and wine, and he sat on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Not only did he take care of him that day, the next day also. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I believe that if the Samaritan had more money, he would have given it. But he gave everything he had. Because that is what we need to do as Christians. We ought to extend the hand, but extend the hand in sacrifice, sacrificially. After all, many apply this parable to Jesus. And it is very fitting. Because Jesus himself took a journey. A journey from Jerusalem, his holy temple, his place where he dwells. And he finds us along the path, broken, wounded, and half dead. And what does he do? He comes to where we are. For the Bible says in Isaiah 53 in verse 3, that he was despised and rejected of all men. He was a man of sorrows and was touched with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet the Lord laid the iniquity of him, of all of us, on him. Jesus took our place. Jesus extended compassion. Jesus extended love. And so it is crucial that we do the same to others. This Samaritan made a good sacrifice. At the end of it, the lawyer did not come back into the conversation because he understood the importance, the importance of this truth. Jesus asked the question, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And this lawyer hated Samaritans so much he would not even put the name on his tongue. He just said, he who showed mercy. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do 
likewise. Our last verse is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, where the Bible encourages us as Christians to extend this very grace to not only one another, but also those on the outside of these walls. We have to extend love and compassion. Don't let another pastor ask you that question, are you a Christian, when you're behaving badly. I love it when people ask. I tend to wear shirts that have Bible verses on it sometimes, and I just recently I was going, I was uh, at this apartment trying to set things up, and I found a note on my door, and the note read, Dear resident from B12, I'm in B21, and I mistakenly, I ordered a package some months ago and couldn't find it, and decided to track it down and realized that the package was delivered to your address. To me, Providence. Praise the Lord for UPS, right? And so I went and knocked on her door. Lady came out, and I said, hi, I am resident from B12. And my name is Jermaine. And so we, had, we started having a conversation. And she's like, oh, you know, that's good. Wonderful to meet you. Yeah, my package. And she began describing the package and all these different things. And I thought, OK, OK, that's an interesting gift. But nonetheless, um, we started talking. And then she saw my shirt. It had God on it. And she said, you know, I like your shirt. And so my question came right to my mind. Are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I'm a Christian. We got into a conversation. and so. I'm looking forward to seeing her again. I gave her my number. I told her, I'll be back. I need to deliver your package, but I also have a message to tell you about. Other times, too, I was at Chipotle. I was ordering a burrito. So you know what I eat. Uh, Ordering a burrito, and I was there wearing a jacket, and the jacket said Adventist on it. And the young man serving the meal said, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? I said, yes, I am. And he said, you know what? My grandmother wanted me to go to church. Right? And I've never been able to go to church. I said, I'm the pastor of the church right behind this place. One of the pastors. And he said, well, you know what? I'll try to stop in. I haven't seen him, but we'll wait. We will wait. But at least Providence led me to Chipotle. Providence leads you to Myers. Providence leads you wherever Providence will take you. But always look for those people. Jesus made this story intentional, so intentional that he gave this man no name, just a certain man, because this man can be anywhere, at any time, as you go through life. So this week, look for that certain man. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says this, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The world needs this. Don't be mean. Be loving, kind, compassionate. Just, just, don't just listen to what the pastor is saying. Go and do what the word of God asks you to. And I promise you, when you do that, when you trust God's guiding providence, you'll have stories to tell. Sabbath school will be revived. Everyone, I have a testimony. Look at what the, God, what the Lord did this week. I can't wait for that moment when we finally get to heaven and someone running down those streets of gold as you're shaking hands with Jesus. And they run down towards your direction and grabs your hand and say, brother, 
Sister, you know what? I am here because you, you pointed me to Jesus. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for that moment. But I also know that in that very place, there will be familiar faces. Maybe people will be asking the question, oh, I saw you in the store, but you never said you were a Christian. I saw you at the auto shop, but you never said you were a Christian. You never said anything. Let it be said that we lead others to heaven. Let us love one another. I want to make an appeal. Very simple. I want to ask, as you contemplate this story of the Good Samaritan, ask yourself, where do I find myself? Am I a lawyer? Am I a Good Samaritan? Am I a priest? Or am I a Levite? How do I treat people? Do I truly love them? And how do I extend compassion and grace to them? Especially those who rub us the wrong way. Um, and as you contemplate that, that, that question, I'm going to ask that you, in your heart and in your mind, ask the Lord to help you to not just listen to what I'm saying, but that you may also do what the Word of God is asking you to. Trust this providence, because this week, this very week, as you've heard the sermon, God is going to guide you to someone. And your commitment is to say, yes, Lord, wherever you lead me, I want to go and do your will. If that's your desire, I'm going to invite you to stand. Like, Lord, this is where I am today. It doesn't matter where you lead me this week. This week, I want to be used by you to extend love and compassion to someone else who is in need of it. Because the world is dying for a revelation of God's character. And in those moments where you're tempted to say something mean or do something bad because you're frustrated... Commit to praying and asking the Lord to help you. Commit to praying and asking the Lord to help you. Lord, I understand that I needed to go, but in this moment, I need to do something. So please help me. Now that you've made that commitment, I think the angels in heaven are going to join us this week on our journeys. God's providence is going to take you places. I want to hear the stories. Come, tap me on my shoulder because I love talking to people anyway. Tell me about it. Tell me what the Lord has done for you. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful, Lord, for your love. Jesus, you saw how important it was for you to leave everything in heaven to come down to this sinful, awful place and pay an even more awful price for our sins. Lord, on Calvary's hill, everyone takes the journey to. On Calvary's hill, we see the love of God manifested in such a powerful way that even us can be used to demonstrate this love to those around us. We've made a commitment this week, Lord, that we will trust your providence, that even in our workplaces, wherever you guide us, Lord, we pray that you may help us to look for that one person, that certain man who needs the love of God in his or her life. And we thank you for loving us enough to trust us with this great responsibility. Help us now to treat others well. Help us to love each other, not only in this congregation, but also outside. Be with us this week, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.